Welcome, future doctors, to another episode of the Future Minority Doctor Podcast with Dr. Sulma and Marina, where we bring you conversations to empower and inspire you to contribute to your community and the world by becoming a doctor. Welcome, future doctors, to another episode of the Future Minority Doctor Podcast. Today, I am so pleased to have a guest on with us, Dr. Latika Hinduja, who is a practicing podiatrist. Now, some of you may or may not have heard about the field of podiatry, and you might be wondering, what is a podiatrist? So let's go ahead and start our conversation with Dr. Latika. And Dr. Latika, would you mind explaining to us and our listeners, what is a podiatrist? Absolutely. Hello, everybody, and thank you for listening. So podiatrist basically focuses on foot and ankle. You know, we get into a depth of lower extremity and biomechanics of foot and ankle. So we treat everything related to foot and ankle. Maybe it could be skin problems, bone, nerve, a lot of issues. So it's a holistic approach to treat foot and ankle issues. A majority of podiatrists treat a lot of diabetic foot and ankle ulcers, wounds, fractures, all the skin problems. So We're like all in one shop for them. Uh Uh-huh. Gotcha. So we're thinking mostly about the feet here in this field. And I'm I'm interested, what um, got you interested in the field of podiatry, if you don't mind sharing some of your story with us? So my first introduction to podiatry was in a college fair uh, where I had a representative of one of the podiatry schools in California talk to me about it. It got me intrigued because I knew I would getting into specialty right away. I did like the surgical aspect of it, which I always was keen in learning and, you know, getting in in future. I then uh, followed and shadowed a couple of podiatrists. I, I was amazed how important it is for someone to able to walk or also the wounds, diabetic wounds, which I have a personal family history of diabetes and wounds. And, and I've seen it, how people struggle with it. And uh, where I grew up in India, there were none podiatrist. So here I thought there was a care, there was a specialty dealing with it and people actually having good outcome from the treatment, which does not exist in a lot of other countries. Uh huh. You mentioned you grew up in India. Um, let's backtrack a little bit. I'd love to hear about where you come from, your background, your life story leading up to becoming a doctor of podiatry. So yeah, my family moved. I, was, I grew up, I was raised in India. Um, I moved to United States at the age of 18 when I finished, almost finished my high school, almost ready to get into college. I moved here. I had no clue what to do. I started off in a community college, took a bunch of classes, was working full time, doing evening classes. I was in Silicon Valley. You know, I was expected, you know, you're in Silicon Valley, everybody wants to do computers. And, you know, I was taking some computer classes. Uh And I was like, that's how my life is going to be, you know, be a computer programmer, coder. And I think I hit a breaking point where I just hated everything, all the classes and everything. And I, I had to kind of sit down and think about it, what I'm doing, why I'm doing, am I happy? And obviously, all through this, there was a lot of college counselors, a lot of friends helping me out, thinking about what is important, what makes you happy. So I I did backtrack. I changed my whole classes and what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to major. I started to work around healthcare. I did volunteer work in hospitals. 
And then I was like, I like medicine. And that's where it was. I like medicine. And I'm going to get into a four-year college from here and, and see how things go. Mm-hmm. But I still didn't believe I'm going to be able to do it, to be honest. I was like, it's too expensive. It's too long. I want to get married, have kids. How It's going to prolong almost everything, which it was uh, it was still a self-doubt how it's going to happen. Uh-huh. But I had that in me, like I'm going to do it. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. So tell us a little bit more about that journey. I mean, I think it's hard for people sometimes to switch tracks completely. Like you mentioned, there's the self-doubt. There's, you know, looking ahead to all the extra work you have to do because at first you thought you would be a computer programmer and then you had to start over again with a different career trajectory. Um, What was your college experience like? Absolutely. I think I really believe in one thing is is, um, uh, your peers and your counselors will be your key. You know, in, in in college, make you. I think counselors, at least in my experience, were underutilized, and I I associated myself with people who had the same goal as mine, mm-hmm. and that gave me a lot of pathway how to do things, how to navigate through the system. I my community college was big, so was my undergrad was was a big undergrad. I went to UC San Diego, so associating with right people, taking the good advice. And not letting anybody who's saying something which, uh, it's not that you don't want to hear, but saying something which more like will put you behind, kind of hear it and ignore it and move forward. Uh-huh. So um, that, and this all comes all because of the grit. You know, if you have that inner grit to do something, you can do it. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think my whole experience was at life, uh, college, classes, anything will throw a curveball but if you know deep inside you can do it and you want to do it you, it'll happen wonderful i love it i love that message now a lot of our listeners might be pre-meds in college facing some of those difficult classes that they have to take like chemistry and biology and physics and some other things and in my experience that can really be a point where people want to give up people want to say you know what this is too hard or I got a C or I got a D in a certain class, I'm never going to reach my goal of becoming a doctor. Did you have any of those moments? And if you did, how did you get past them? Absolutely. Um, so yes, when you know you, you go through a, a real change when you transfer from a community college to a big university where you have 30 people in class and you have like 100 people in the class. Uh-huh. Obviously, first semester was very, very rough for me. And that's exactly how I felt that this, this is it. I'm not going to do it. But uh, what I really did is, again, that's where the family pack, you know, comes into place. You know, you have family, you can talk to friends, you can talk to. And I really, after a couple rough semester, I really sat down and rewind myself and try to pick classes appropriately, try to create a good balance that will work for me, of course. Uh-huh. The second thing is I never gave up. At that point, I thought, you know, if I cannot do this, I will probably do a post-pack or and I will still continue to do what I want to do. I never decide that this is it and, you know, end of world. Mm-hmm. I always thought that there is always a pathway which I have to find next. If this doesn't work out, I would have to go some other route. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I never once thought that this is it. Gotcha. I love that. I love that perspective that it's just a matter of finding 
the exact path, but there is a path. I love that. Exactly. Because, you know, your pathway will never be similar than someone else. You're a whole different person, a different person with different experience and personality, different learning style. Maybe one class is the professor is not what your style matches with that. Maybe you need to talk to people what that class is about, what it is, talk to teaching assistant, and then pick a class which will work with you. Mm -hmm. We talk on the podcast sometimes about the importance of finding people who support you, finding a mentor, uh, finding someone who inspires you. Was there anyone that stands out in your memory along your journey into medicine that really helped you along the way? I think for me, I did not have a particular mentor, uh-huh. but I created a tribe around me. Let's just put it that way. We were like a tribe of people want to do the same thing and everyone has made it you know we all Mm -hmm. kind of support each other I feel I feel like mentor you meet them maybe an hour two hour maybe it can be a colleague but when you live when you're in college you you really need that tribe around me maybe you want don't want to study for that OCHEM exam and go out but maybe that person will be like listen you need an A right you need to come back so I think the tribe is what it's needed here I I, at least for me that worked Mm -hmm. but I think a lot of people a friend or someone close, a senior person around, you know, like who's two years ahead can really pull you and help you guide you. Mm-hmm. Um, with the teachers, it was, um, especially in a big college, the professors were not that available. I would say the teacher assistant and was the second one, but to me, it was a tribe. Yeah, I love that because I think you make a great point. Uh, sometimes There just won't be one person available to mentor you through the whole process. I know when I went through the process of a pre-medical curriculum in college, I had trouble finding one person that could just guide me along the way. But just like you, I found a tribe of people. I found friends who were supportive, even family was supportive, other people who were, I had a roommate in college who was also going into medicine. So just relying and leaning on those people, I think is great, especially if you can't find one particular mentor. So thank you for sharing that. I wanted to point out to our listeners that um, becoming a doctor of podiatry is a little bit different in terms of the process compared to becoming a doctor of medicine. An MD or a DO is different than um, a podiatrist. So can you explain to us, because I actually don't know all the details of this, but can you explain to us what the differences are and what the process is like of becoming specifically a doctor of podiatry? Absolutely. So doctor of podiatry is a podiatry school, just like how dental school are and optometry school are. So they get into, it's a separate school, it's a separate school, which puts you in a specialty right from the get-go. The curriculum to me the first two years are similar to normal traditional medical school where you take pre-med you know, classes. And the two-year rotations after are also somewhat similar. But the fourth year, we focus a lot on podiatry aspect, which is more surgical, medicine, and everything. So I think it's, I would say it's, it's like you take all the classes of a medical school in addition to other extra classes for you to become a podiatrist. Like, um, biomechanics are very, very emphasized and the anatomy is very much emphasized and all the other things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is this difference? I, it's an enhancement to what it is taught in medical school. That's how I take it. 
I think a human body is complex, right? So whatever is not picked up, I think in a medical school where people don't, it's not they don't want to treat feet, it's just feet are, are so complex that, you know, it needs a specialty coming in and treating it. Yeah, it is pretty amazing to think of how complex our feet are. You know, they're these pretty small structures compared to the rest of our body, but they're able to bear all of the weight of our body and support us and carry us throughout our day. Yeah. And Correct. they have so many bones and so many ligaments and tendons and blood vessels and nerves. And yeah, they're pretty complex. So that's really interesting. So in podiatry school, you do go ahead and study the whole body is what I'm hearing. Correct. But then at the end is really where you start to emphasize on the feet and ankles. Is that correct? Exactly. We do. But we do do some of the rotation, like we did do internal medicine. We do do anesthesiology, all the other surgical, general surgery rotation. We do all the rotations in your third and fourth year too. Gotcha. We miss one or two, I would say. Uh, we don't do OBGYN, uh-huh. but that's the only thing I could think of right now. Don't quote me on that. I <laughs> no, that's okay. You probably, I, I'm guessing you don't do like psychiatry or... I actually do psychiatry. I oh, actually you loved do? my psycho. I really liked my psych. Oh, wonderful. And I feel psychiatry really taught me because I feel like, you know, when you treat patients who have bipolar disorders and everything, you they come to your office and they're like, you understand where they come from, what their problems are. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, that's wonderful. That's actually what much more... Um, holistic than I assumed podiatry education would be. So I'm learning a lot and I'm sure our listeners are too. That's wonderful. Now I do assume that getting into podiatry school is also pretty competitive, just like getting into an MD or a DO school. Can you Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about what the process is like? The process is actually almost similar. You two do take your MCATs, they take MCAT scores, Uh but the application system is, is a different one, not like MD school. And then you submit your essay and everything, and they look at mm-hmm. your transcripts, and that's we go from there. Yeah. But we do do the MCAT score, just like MD and DO schools. What was the process like of applying for you? Was it stressful? Did you apply to a lot of places? Were you nervous about what would happen? Yes, yes, yes. So, yes, it was stressful. Um, I did do like a, like a post-bac program a little bit sometime to enhance my application, studied for MCATs. And I only applied to podiatry school. I didn't apply to any other school because once I made my mind, I'm going to do it. I said, this is it. Uh So I applied to, I did apply to three to four schools. I didn't apply to all of them because I I was very concerned about the location. I wanted to be in New York, to be honest. I loved it. Uh So that was my number one choice and I got it. But what I did was I very persuaded the admission director. I called them. I asked them more about it. I showed interest. I went to go on a tour with, with the facility. And that's it. I, I was there. Yeah, wonderful. And I understand you ended up going to the New York College of Podiatric Medicine in New York. Yeah. So tell us more about what was medical school like for you? First two years were very rough. <laughs> they were rough. Uh, I think the medical school is all about a lot of dedication. Like undergrad was, I would say, you know, you know, the study wise, the curriculum, it it just shoots up. You have um, exams, you have, you know, a lot of classes. 
you have to kind of modify your learning style, see what works better for you because you have so much information to take care in less time now. But uh, what really helped me in medical school was, again, I lived first two years with same people, college, you know, we went, we were going through the same thing and they all, we all kind of helped each other out. Wonderful. I think I, I feel like what works for you, you just carry on. So that worked for me in, in undergrad. I kind of carried it on to my medical school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And obviously I made, I talked to a lot of people who were, I was in first year, I used to talk to people in second year because I used to kind of get a sense of what is coming next. So when I'm in my second year, I was more like, okay, I kind of know what's going on. I'm not like drowning. Uh So what is expected, you know, maybe, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So I think connecting with people, connecting with your seniors, connecting with people who are ahead of you always helps. Yeah. So you had mentioned that in your third year of podiatry school, you do sort of the major rotations, which are similar to an MD or DO school. Tell us a little bit more about the fourth year. What kind of things did you really get to delve into uh, related to specifically podiatry in your fourth year of medical school? Um, so our fourth year is mostly, um, a lot of it is you're trying to get into residency programs. So we rotate in um, different places. For example, I want if I want to get into this residency program in California, so I went to go on a rotation in, in that podiatric program. Uh, we basically work with the first year resident. We rounded with them. We did the charts. We did all assisted in surgery. And that was, it could be 10 hour day, it could be 15 hour day. It wasn't any set guarantee, depending how busy the program was. It's mostly fourth year was dedicated towards thinking about where you want to be in your residency program. And that's mm-hmm. where you, you pick the rotations based on that. Again, um, <clears throat> it was uh, when you go, most of the pediatric residency program are surgical, which are very long hours, um, but that's needed. You need that to train you to eventually perform surgeries. Yeah. Excellent. And where did you end up doing your residency? Uh, I did it in New York, uh, in, sorry, South Nassau Hospital, which is now part of the Mount Sinai healthcare system. Wonderful. Wonderful. And how long was residency for you? For me, it was three years. Some of the programs are four years, but for me, it was three years. Uh huh. And so it sounds like you did a lot of your education and training in New York. New York. Tell us what, what is it like now, now that you're all done with your training, you're into practice, what is life as a podiatrist like day to day? What kind of things are you seeing? How are you helping people day to day? Absolutely. I think to me, my job is very satisfying. You know, I every day come home and I satisfying in the sense like you are making some real changes. I see I wake I start my patients around eight, eight thirty in the morning. I see about sixteen to twenty patients in a day. Four days a week. My one day a week is dedicated for surgery. Uh, I do have some hospital rounds to take care of in the middle. Mm-hmm. So yes, it is busy, but busy enough. Uh-huh. What I what I like about it is best about my job is giving people the ability to walk. Okay, so walking is essential, especially if you are standing all day. Your teacher, construction worker or you are um, 
retail and all these people, all, all these uh, occupations require you to stand, work and all that. And these are my number one patients. They come to me because and giving them that ability to stand, to do things, to get their life back is the best thing. Mm-hmm. And obviously, it's not just treating them medically. It's also treating them surgically. So if we cannot fix the problem, we go back and reroute to the surgery. Gotcha. So it's more like end-to-end care. So you, you're you not like, okay, we can't do this. Let's go. So we're like starting the problem. We're like finishing it up. Mm-hmm. I'm sure your patients appreciate you so much. <laughs> what are some of the very common conditions that you treat in podiatry? I will answer that, but I will say every podiatrist, it really depends what setting you're practicing in. I'm in a multi-specialty group. So in my group, I get I I work in an area where there's a lot of blue collar job people too, okay, and a little bit of a low socioeconomic status. So mostly for me, it's diabetic wounds, foot pain, which could arise from plantar fasciitis, which could arise from tendonitis, which could arise from tightness, which could arise for so many different reasons. Uh huh. The secondly is mostly these top two is is what is it is coming along. I also do a lot of diabetic foot exams, diabetic look screening, prevention, and all that. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit more about the connection between diabetes and the feet, because some of our listeners, they might not know that uh, part of physiology and medicine yet. So as we know, as physicians, diabetes increases the risk of certain problems in your feet. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us more about that? Absolutely. So diabetes is, again, medically, it's, it's not a you know, good disease to have. It causes all of other risk. But specifically on the feet, number one thing we see or deal with is diabetic neuropathy and peripheral vascular disease. So in my practice, we do screen for peripheral vascular disease. We do the non-invasive studies for that. It's a multi-specialty group. So all the primary docs who have prim- um, diabetic neuropathy send the patients to me where we screen them. Number one is to identify their risk factors, you know, that they have it. Most of the people walk around, they'd have no clue that they even have it. Mm-hmm. And then educating them, giving them the tools to take care for of their issues, mm-hmm. um, like diabetic shoes and all that. And then educating and identifying, that's what it is. And we do do non-vascular studies to screen for vascular disease too. Yeah. So. For some of our listeners that just don't know the pathophysiology of diabetes, diabetes really affects the function of the blood vessels and also the function of the nerves, um, especially in your feet, uh, but also in other parts of your body. So yeah, it sounds like you're doing a lot of the work to identify these problems and treat them. And hopefully you're catching a lot of these problems early, but I'm sure that sometimes you don't catch them early and people have complications. Is that right? Exactly. And I and I think that is the hardest part of my job here. Like not many people, number one is not many people are aware of the podiatrist. Second part is people come to my office when I feel the ship has sailed completely, where we have to do amputate, major amputation on them. Uh-huh. So yes, we are, We again, if you're coming from, um, you know, if it gets worse, you have not seen a primary doctor at all, you have a wound and you're, you have neuropathy. Neuropathy basically means it damages to your nerve that you cannot feel much. So you could be running around with the sore in the foot and you don't feel nothing. Mm-hmm. And you think everything is fine because it doesn't hurt, but it's not uh-huh. like that. 
um, end up getting osteomyelitis, which is a bone infection. And that's when things have to be a little bit more aggressive for limb salvage. Right, right. Yeah. Um, I'm curious if you have, obviously, many of us do not have diabetes, but we have feet, all of us have feet. (laughs) And I'm curious if you could give us and our listeners some advice about how do we take better care of our feet? Even if we don't have diabetes and we never have diabetes, what are some of the things that we can do to take better care of our feet? Absolutely. I think the best thing we could do is to buy good shoes. I really believe it. And um, and that's one thing, not just good shoes when you go outside, good shoes when you're in the house too. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, because that's where if, and especially with this work from home culture, people are sitting home walking barefoot, and they have no support. Mm-hmm. So um, I think the best thing you could do is is buy a good shoe for you. And obviously don't walk barefoot at home also. <laughs> well, that's hard for me to hear because I love walking barefoot. <laughs> a lot of <laughs> I, will, I will accept that advice. The pandemic has given a spike in foot, foot problem for us because, again, um, shoe gear, a lot of it. That's so interesting. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. That's fascinating. I have another question related to your day-to-day work. So you mentioned that you work in a mostly blue-collar community, maybe uh, patients coming from lower socioeconomic status. How do you, how do you feel that you're able to serve your community, and what inspires you to serve your community in the way that you do? And are there inequities that you see within your community? And do you feel that through your work, you're able to help address some of those inequities? So to me, the best thing is when I when I see a patient for the consult, the first consult, I say, we're going to do X, Y, and Z for them. And the best thing I like is when they come back and they say, you've changed my life. You know, I have, I've been able to do this now. I have never done this for a while. Secondly, is when I perform certain procedures and help fix certain issues, which they had no clue that they will be ever get fixed. So that's one of the things. Inequities, I feel in terms of basically education, like in terms of knowledge, like in terms of not knowing what to do. I have patients who've, I've seen them in their 40s and 50s, and they were dealing with their foot pain since they were teenagers, Mm -hmm. because they never thought that this can be taken care. They always thought that this is how their feet are, and they have to live with it. Uh-huh. In equities, I still see um, patients coming to me with a lot of foot issues, especially diabetics. And and then they say, listen, Isaac, why didn't you come before? What happened? And they're like, oh, I didn't have insurance, which is, again, commonly seen in my area. And I I do provide them resources which can help them even if they don't have insurance, like free clinics and everything, and give them an idea how to navigate themselves. Wonderful. Well, thank you. It sounds like you're doing amazing work in your community, and I really appreciate learning more about the field of podiatry and how you contribute to the greater field of medicine. I'm curious, as, a, as one of my last questions, if you could go back in time and talk to your younger self, mm-hmm. maybe in high school or in college, what advice would you give? I always tell people, um, always believe in yourself. I think that I'm a big um believer of that i i feel like if you stop believing in yourself people will stop believing in you so you have to be your own advocate mm-hmm. no matter what yes your family your friends but no you're number one and you have to kind of 
you know, hold your ship tight. Mm-hmm. Only then things will follow through. Otherwise, you're going to be lost. Yeah, it's true. Nobody else is going to do the hardest work for you. You have to, you have to have the grit to get through the hardest parts. Yeah. What about what advice would you give to younger people who are pursuing a career in medicine? I love what you already uh, said, but is there any advice? Yes. Maybe someone came to you for mentorship. They want some advice about pursuing a career in podiatry. What else might you tell them? So what I realized after practicing for six years after, you know, being a podiatrist, I feel like we all, once we get into medical school, the pathway is very much set. You know, you get into medical school, you get all the help around, they will make sure you match to residency where you want to go. Or if you go to podiatry school, you know, you help with the residency and then you, then there will be a pathway to pass the boards and everything. Uh, I think that pathway is, is very well defined and everybody gets through it. I would say majority people, right? Uh-huh. But I think the real challenge is then for the next generation physician like me and you would be is not just a physician, it's just being a physician leader. I think if you want real change as a physician, you're not I think you have to be a physician leader, not just be a physician. Because either you work for yourself, open your own clinic either you work in a group, either you work in a hospital, you need that. Otherwise, the way healthcare is moving around, you might be not so happy. You have to be a leader and advocate pretty much all your life. That's excellent advice. I I completely agree with that. That Obviously, when you're at a certain stage of the journey, just trying to get through your pre-med classes, the goal is just to get to medical school. But really, you don't have to think too hard about it now, but just remember that it's not just about being a doctor, but it's also being a doctor who helps to change the field of medicine in positive ways, um, who helps, you know, in this podcast, we, we want to diversify the field of medicine in order to better serve the communities that we are surrounded by. And so to really be that agent of change, I think you're right on the money. We need to not just be physicians, but we need to be physician leaders. Thank you for that message. I wish I thought about it, but I was in my um, pre-med. I really wish. I wish I had that wisdom. I didn't. Now I have it, uh-huh. but I want people to think about it even while they're in residence because there's so many things can pop out at you. You know, you can, you can, you can do so many more. You could do so much more than me, you know? Yeah. And I'm curious, are there uh, ways in your life or your career right now that you are finding yourself stepping into leadership roles or uh, into some of that work? Correct. Yes, I, I am. I am trying to step into, again, my passion is mostly diabetic and actually screening and educating. Mm-hmm. I think that's where I feel there is a big, big lag in there. When I educate patients about what they are, what are the risk factors and everything, um, they get, oh, I didn't know that. Now, this is a very micro level, me and the patient, right? But I, my eventual goal is to make it in a bigger scale, like enough a program in every, in, in at least in where I work, to have it a much more impact. So that everyone can be educated, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, that is a challenge, you know, of course, we work in healthcare systems and all that, I know. So obviously, it's it's not an overnight thing, but that is my goal. I love and it. And for that, I need to be a leader. <laughs> uh-huh. I love it. It's a very admirable goal. 
Well, thank you so much, Dr. Hinduja, for speaking with us today, for sharing your passion for the field of podiatry and the ways in which you are contributing to your home community. We really appreciate your time and hearing your story. Thank you. And to all of our listeners, thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day.